in the book of Joshua. This is our, well, it'll be the last time I will be able to speak to you concerning Joshua. Uh, next week, Brother Gospel will be preaching that morning and, of course, singing night that night. And I believe the next following Sunday or weekend actually will be the Bible Bowl itself. So wanted to throw out some more things and, and ideas and study concerning the book of Joshua for our young people. And I don't know, I love all the books of the Bible. I have some that are my favorite, but I guess Joshua is one of my favorites that I love reading about because you read about so much of people having to overcome and people having to have faith to overcome things and to be able to get them through the things that are going on in their life and so much how I can relate to that uh, in this day and time of using faith to get me through things that uh, come about in, in my life. But the book opens in Joshua chapter 13 by telling us of the conquest that had taken many years now and Joshua is old. The Lord comes to Joshua, and I'm going to give you some layout of each chapter, and then we'll make some applications at the end and some thoughts about faith um, concerning this study tonight. But he comes to Joshua and notes that his age, his age, and then he notes a problem. He says, Joshua, you're old. He said, things are still going on, and there are things that still need to be done. He says there's a problem. And the problem is while yet the land of Canaan had been conquered and the wars are over, the land had not been settled, if you will, or possessed. Those areas in chapter 13 there in verses 2 through 6 are listed for us and described. Now you may wonder what the problem is that the land has been conquered, but what about... A situation, think of it along these lines. A lot of wars had happened, a lot of things had went on, but there still wasn't peace or there still wasn't any organization, if you will, in that region. And he goes on, and all the fortified cities had fallen, and, um, but the citizens of those cities and things, if you remember, had not been driven out. They were still abiding in those areas. And so there we see in the book of Joshua that the war is over, but the people need to be removed from the land. So the Lord tells Joshua to divide up the rest of the occupied, unoccupied lands to the tribes and to God with himself will drive out the inhabitants, verse 6 and 7 of chapter 13. I believe this is the key to the chapter, chapter 13 says God will drive out the people. Basically, he says, you need to just go and take the land. And then the refine that the rest of chapter 13 describes the divisions of the land for inheritance to the tribes. Now, in verse 22, we read that judgment was brought upon Balaam, who led Israel to sin. Where it says there, Balaam also the son of Beor, the soothsayer, did the children of Israel slay with the sword among them that were slain by them. So we have that recorded in chapter 13 as well. But then you move on to chapter 14. And chapter 14 reveals the model of faith required for victory. 
Now I want you to think about this tonight. The model of faith that is required for victory. We as Christians today need a model. We have many models listed in Scripture, but not just a model, but a model for victory. You know, every team or every uh, leader usually has a model. As I'm preparing and studying uh, in my master's program, it talks about we as supervisors will have to develop our identity. We will have to develop our model of leading and what we think is required to be successful in whatever we lead or whoever we lead. So you think about it in along those terms. You know, there's a lot of happy Tennessee fans around now, aren't there? We finally got Florida, didn't we? I say we, because I still live here. We finally got them, didn't we? Y'all can smile. Y'all can be, it's been 25 years. I mean, y'all can be happy. I can remember the last time they beat them. Adriana was a baby in the hospital. She was born in the morning of, on that 18th of September on a Friday morning. And we were in the hospital staying on Saturday night. And they kicked a field goal to beat them. Uh, many, many years ago. She's 24 years. So, anyway, I guarantee you that the team had a model. They had a, they had a, they had a, a plan to be able to say, this will assure us a victory, as every good team does. And God had a plan. He says, this is what you've got to do. You've got to go and drive the inhabitants out, take the land, and this is how you do it, because I'm going to help you do it. You see, we still need that model of faith today. You know, who would we expect to be a model of faith for inheritance of the land? In verse 6 of chapter 14, you see that Caleb, the man of faith from the prior generation, came up to Joshua and reminds Joshua about what Moses had told them. It says Caleb was 40 years old when Moses sent them to spy out the land, if you remember the first time, as recorded in the book of Numbers. The other Israelite spies gave a bad report, but if you remember, Caleb wholly followed the Lord. Chapter 14 and verse 8. Moses swore this land would be an inheritance because he wholly followed the Lord. Now the Lord has kept Caleb alive now for the last 45 years. So he's not a young man anymore, is he? He's lived a full life. Half of that life has been spent, if you remember, wandering in the wilderness because of the lack of faith and the problems of other people. And their disobedience and rebellion to God. So what's he going to ask of Joshua? When you look at verses 11 and 12 of Joshua 14, we answer that question. And yet I am strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me as my strength was then. Even so is my strength now for war, both to go out and to come in. 
Now therefore give me this mountain where the Lord spake in the day, for thou heardest in that day how the, the acclums were there and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be, the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. He said, I'm still as strong as I was when I was younger. You see, he declares that he is strong as ever. Now I don't know that really think that that was the case uh, physically, but I do in his mental state and his faith. He was as strong as he was. And remember, we've had a lesson on this uh, several months ago concerning how old he was and him saying, don't give me the easy flat land, but give me the difficult land. Give me the difficult to go and take, he says. And I think that we, we see that and notice that Caleb's not trusting but what he can see or feel, but what his God has said in verses 6, 10, and 12. Caleb, Caleb rests his faith on what the Lord has said. Caleb says that God promised this land, so he give them the hard land with the giants, and he'll drive them out with God's help. To me, you have to love the zeal and the faith of Caleb. His zeal from the start to finish is unwavering. You have to love that type of faith. Now we know, according to the New Testament, the definition of faith we find in the Hebrews, in the Hebrew letter in chapter 11 and verse 1. Now faith is a substance or assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of a conviction, if you will, of things not seen. You see, we look at that word there as the substance or the assurance. We are assured of things that are going to come and that God will be with us and God will see us through difficult times because God does not lie, does he? He says, I will not ever leave you nor forsake you. He says, I will always be there to help you. I will always be there to protect you. And God does not lie, does he? God said, when he says what he says, he means it. The James Bible gave me an article not too long ago. The Atheist Christian, I believe, was what it was entitled. And there's some probably 30 or 40 different topics. It says, is there such thing as an Atheist Christian? And it defines what an atheist is. One who does not believe in God. And tonight we would might say in this audience, are there any atheist Christians? And I guarantee you nobody would say, no, I'm not an atheist. I believe in God. But a lot of those things in that article, it says that that atheist Christian doesn't believe one of the things that when God says something, he means it. Many people lack in that. And it takes every subject that really you can imagine and puts that thought to it. An atheist Christian thinks that you don't have to attend services. An atheist Christian thinks that you don't have to, to take of the Lord's Supper. You, it just goes on and on and on and on. We might could say tonight that there's no way Caleb was that way, was it? He believed what God said. 
He stood upon what God said. He understood that substance or that assurance of things hoped for. And that last part of Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, the evidence or a conviction of things not seen. If there is a time that we need to have conviction, if there's been a time that there was a great need, there is just right now. We need people in the Lord's church and our young people to have a conviction. To have a faith and to know without a shadow of a doubt that God is the creator. That God will see you through tough times. We need conviction not only in that area, but we need conviction in a lot of things, to be honest with you. <laughs> we need people in the church to be strong and to have that faith like Caleb had. And one might say, where did Caleb's courage come from? His courage come from his faith. Well, where did his faith come from? His faith come from hearing the word of God. You know the scripture well, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, right? You see, he knew God said it. He believed it. And therefore, he had the courage to do the work. We need people today who know and believe that God said it and have the courage to do the work. And we find in chapter 14, Joshua blesses Caleb for his faith and determination. In verse 13, was Caleb right? Look at verses 14 and 15 of that chapter. Yes, he was. Hebron became Caleb's inheritance because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. God did give him the victory. His faith gave him the victory. I want us to encourage, I want us to encourage our way of thinking concerning this topic. Age is not a factor. No matter how young you are or how old you are, age is not a factor when it comes to faith. Of course, our little ones, we understand, are protected and uh, don't have all that figured out. But sometimes a young teenage person may feel that, well, I, I'm not old enough to have faith yet. I'm not old enough to be serious about being a Christian and, and living the right way. And many of our young people will take and live in such a way and says, well, I'll, I'll have fun and sow my oats. And then one day I'll settle down and be a good Christian. You see, that's dangerous living for our young people. We must never adopt a mentality that thinks that any of us are too young or too old to do the work in God's kingdom. No younger person should ever discount any older Christian because of age. And sometimes we see that, unfortunately, in the Lord's church, the younger generation will push and edge and nudge out the older people in a congregation. And we never need to see that.
our older people in a congregation have a lot of wisdom to share and a lot of good to keep us where we need to be. But notice that Caleb took the hard land, the mountain. It's not the flat land. He, he wasn't ready to retire. Of course, in our world today, he says, the world says, work, 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 and then retire. And, and don't get me wrong, I look forward to that. Lord's will, the Lord blesses me with health. I hope in about eight years or so to be done. And to be able to enjoy some things and do more for the Lord. Because I hope by then that my family will be raised and my house will be empty. Ain't it funny how it revolves around? You start out empty, then it gets all full, and then it goes back to empty, doesn't it? Many of you have experienced that. But I hope and pray that my faith never wavers between those things. You see, there's nothing more tragic than to live your life so that you can retire and then waste it watching the will of fortune <laughs> or the price is right. Or Matlock. I like Matlock. I don't know if y'all like Matlock or not, but I love Matlock. Uh, Bonanza. I love watching Bonanza. Gunsmoke. Old Matt Dillon. He's quite a guy. Old Festus. But you know what a waste just to move to that point in our life. You see... Our affections should be on things of God. Love God and have faith in the heart that Caleb had. In Joshua 15 and uh, verse 14, we see Caleb drive out three sons of Anak. Then he defeated the inhabitants of Deborah and gave his daughter to anyone who finished the task. His faith is why he had victory is why he had victory. Now, chapters 15 through 17, for the rest of that, we see, it's kind of ironic that we see all of these things that are accomplished by faith. Having faith through Caleb and other people as well, and Joshua, and, and, and making those statements that I, as for me and my family, will serve the Lord, and, and all these things. But then you come to, to 15 through 17, to chapters 15 through 17, and you find failures of faith. Because most time, when there's positive things of faith that has been encouraged and, and has been uh, victory because of that, a lot of times you find failures. The narrative shifts to a shocking contrast. God promised to drive out the inhabitants at the land before the people, but look what's recorded for us there in Joshua 15 and verse 63. The Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the people of Judah could not drive out. So what did they do? They just dwelled with the people of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. Failure is recorded. Chapter 16 and verse 10, the inheritance is described in 16, but verse 10 says, however, they did not drive out the Canaanites who live in Gezer, 
For the Canaanites have lived in the midst of Ephraim to this day, but have been made to do forced labor. Another failure is in chapter 17 and verses 12 and 13. But the people of Manasseh there could not take possession of those cities. But the Canaanites persisted in dwelling in that land. And when the people of Israel grew strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not utterly drive them out. Yet more failures are recorded from the people of Israel. You see, the problem is perfectly illustrated in chapter 17 and verses 14 through 18. Notice what it says with me. Joshua 17 and verses 14 through 18. And the children of Joseph spake unto Joshua, saying, Why hast thou given me but one lot? And one portion to inherit. Seeing I am great, I am a great people, for as much as the Lord hath blessed me hitherto. And Joshua answered them, If thou be a great people, then get thee up to the wood country, and cut down for thyself there in the land of the Prezites and of the giants. If Mount Ephraim be too narrow for thee, and the children of Joseph said, The hill is not enough for us, and all the Canaanites that dwell in the land of the valley have chariots of iron. Both they who are of Bashan and her towns, and they who are of the valley of Jezreel. And Joshua spake unto the house of Joseph, even to Ephraim, and to Manasseh, saying, Thou art a great people, and hast great power. Thou shalt not have one lot only. But the mountain shall be thine. For it is a wood, and thou shalt cut it down, and the outgoings of it shall be thine. For thou shalt drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots, and though they be strong. You see, the people of Joseph came to Joshua and complained that their inheritance is too small for all the people they have. He simply tells them a solution, doesn't he? Go take more land. It's the perfect, uh, obvious answer. God has given the land, so go take more land. And listen to what the people say there in, in, verse, in verse 16. The hill is not enough for us. They dwell in that land of the valley and have chariots of iron. Joshua's answer in 17 and 18 can be summarized like this as you look at it. He says, so what? It does not matter that they are strong or have irons of chariot, chariots of iron. Go take the land. Someone might say, well, what is the problem? God said that he would drive out the inhabitants before the people but yet we're reading of multiple examples in these chapters that, that that was not happening. What was the problem? Why could they not drive out the people? And I can tell you this. Their fear blocked their faith. Their fear by what they saw caused them not to believe that they could succeed in driving out the inhabitants of the land. Faith is why Caleb had victory. 
a lack of faith is what caused the others to be able to unable to drive out the rest of the inhabitants. You see, this is a generation that successfully defeated the fortified cities and kings of the land. This is the, the generation that's seen victory at Jericho and Gibeon. And whereby Joshua's prayer that the sun stood still. And the message has been that God can do anything. Do not think there is something that God cannot do. It caused complaining to rise up in their hearts. And their weakening faith turns into complaining about others. They complain about the land and about the people that are in the land. And let me tell you this, that complaining is often, more cases than none, a reflection of a weakening faith that is no longer depending upon God, but depending upon self. So there's a warning here for us. Faith can begin to wane after the victory. They started with strong faith, if you remember, but now the faith is weak, weakening. And they were unable to finish. Do we see the contrast with Caleb? Unlike the other people, they started strong and finished weak. Caleb what? Started strong and ended strong, didn't he? You see, that's what we want to do. We want to start strong and end strong. You see, there, there, there's some warnings here about growing comfortable and not finishing the job that you and I have been given as Christians. And when we grow comfortable and, we, and start coasting in our lives, we see what happens with some of these people. In Joshua 18 and verse 3, we see that Joshua challenges the people to stop waiting and take possession of the land. So what are you waiting for? That's the same thing we can ask ourselves for us today. What are we waiting for? There are two options before us this very hour. And the first is that an option of faith is the example of Caleb. Caleb's not waiting around. He wants the hard country. Let me go and do the job. Let me finish the job. He wants the difficult work. The only thing that matters is that God is with him. If God is with him, he knows that he will be victorious. His faith is grounded in God's word. And his courage comes from his faith. The others do wait around. And they finish weak. I want to leave you with this tonight. That complaining should be a flag for us. That our faith is beginning to wane and to fail. Now I've been guilty of this. I guess you could say sometimes I'm one of the biggest complainers. We all fall into that, don't we? It just makes us feel better to whine, don't it? I think about kids sometimes. Look at my kids I work with. I say, quit whining. <laughs> Even my own children, quit whining. Sometimes we need to say, I guess, to some of our Christian adults, quit whining, quit complaining. 
and get up and go to work and go do what God told you to do and what he gave you to do it with. But see, we often want to look around and say, oh, look at all these things in my life that is no good. All these things are just terrible. You see, we don't need to fall into that trap. You know, a lot of times we look at our life and we're complaining because God is not doing for us what we think he should do. And so we have problems when we think that way. We should be looking at what am I doing to accomplish God's will. A lot of good thoughts in this book. What can we do for God? Are we going to open ourselves up to God's work and let, our, let work in our lives change who we are and change our circumstances? We have to do that. In the book of 1 John, in chapter 5, in verses 2 through 5, one version puts it this way. By this we know we love the children of God. When we love God... And obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Now notice this. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? That's the key. Our faith will overcome when we believe and become a Christian and serve God. Turn in your songbooks to 134. And it's a very familiar song to each of us. Something we have sang for many, many years. But I want you to really think about the words and what we have studied about tonight. And I want us to sing this together. Verse 1, 2, and 3. And then we'll close. And I want you to really concentrate on the words of this great song. And camped along the hills of light, ye Christian soldiers rise and press the battle where the night shall veil the glowing skies against the fallen bells below. Let all our strength be hurled. Faith is the Lord, the word of God, we 
good stuff. In Jesus' conquering name, our raiment shall be wiped. When we put Jesus and Christ on in baptism, we'll have victory if we live faithful. One day we will overcome death. We'll be raised just as he was. But first we need to be risen out of the glory grave of baptism. And be baptized for remission of our sins and live faithful. Faith is the victory. We've got to continue on with a strong faith. Tonight, whatever your need may be, please come. Together we stand and as we sing. 